This is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Georgia. We on the grind in Georgia. All the time it ain't nothing on my mind, but Georgia. We playing with you. We on this month, we're celebrating some of Georgia's most incredible musicians and music from country to rock and roll to hip hop. And you're listening to one of the Atlanta scene's biggest music and film stars, Ludacris. This fall, Georgia State University College of Law is offering The Legal Life of Ludacris. It's a course examining the strategic legal decisions and contracts that supported his career as a rapper, an actor, a philanthropist, and now restaurateur. It is the brainchild of Mo Ivory. She's the head of the school's Entertainment, Sports, and Media Law Initiative, also a longtime radio personality, political consultant, attorney, and that's Professor Ivory to you, isn't it? <laughs> that's right. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Now, you worked with Ludacris for, for some time. Why study his legal life for this course? Yeah, so I actually never um, worked with him, but had an opportunity to uh, interview him many times, uh-huh. and I always admired uh, Ludacris, and he was a um, musician that always showed up on time for interviews. He has always been so well-spoken. I have a relationship with his mother, and so I understand the background and the way he was raised, and I just thought, he also went to Georgia State University for two years in the School of Music studying um, music business management. And so I thought he would just be the perfect... you know, career to follow and to give our students something brand new to look forward to in this program. And he has had such a career, as you mentioned, all of the things. So there were many contracts that we could look at um, in that in that space of his career, 20 plus years. The class is now full. Do you think it would have been if it was called contract law for entertainers? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, actually, let me say that I went before we I created this curriculum that is now uh, a certificate program. We are the only law school in Georgia that has a certificate program majoring in entertainment, sports and media. Uh, I was just teaching entertainment law and that class would fill up very quickly. And it was just because of the thirst that our students have for this uh, practice area that has sort of taken our city over. There's not a day you really don't come to Georgia State Law School, which is right there on Park Place in the middle of downtown Atlanta, that there's not a movie being shot or some construction going on for a production set. And so we um, we just felt the dean with Wendy Hensel at the time, who's now the provost, hired me to address that. And so that's what we wanted to do with this program. Really, we're so strategically and geographically in a place where we should be addressing this boom in Atlanta. And so that's what we did. That's, a, you know, that's the knock we often hear. There are so many entertainers, so many productions being done here in Georgia. But the knock is that that the work may be done here, but the decisions are made elsewhere. Do you are you trying to bring the decisions and those actual deals here? To Absolutely, Georgia? that is exactly the critical reason why this uh, education and this curriculum is so important. Because a lot of the decisions, and let me just break that down a little bit. A lot of the decisions, yes, are made in L.A. or maybe in New York, but a lot of the work is still done here. And even the attorneys in L.A. still need to have a Georgia-based attorney to do. Some some of that work. And so more um, more and more we see that need from studios that have come and set up here in Atlanta. And so we're preparing our students, even if a student who goes to Georgia State College of Law and, and comes out with this certificate goes to L.A. for a couple of years to work, it makes it um, better for them to come back to Atlanta with the skill sets that they have. But they will not ever get that position in L.A. if they don't have a basis of understanding in this practice area specifically. So that's 
that's what we're giving them. And I want my students to go anywhere. I want them to go, you know, overseas. I want them to go to Canada. I want them to go anywhere that they'll be able to practice in this area that they love. Who is taking this course? Is it law students? Is it people who are interested in the music business themselves? Maybe aspiring artists? Sure. It's just law students. Um I have, like you said, I have 31 students this semester in the class. But what the initiative does is we also do events to just exactly address the other communities that want this information. So, so many people have been wonderful to embrace the program. So, uh, Brennan Strickler, who is, um, the director of the Creative Music Industries Institute, Media Institute, Industries Institute, known as CMII at Georgia State University. We're putting a program together on November 16th that will do just that. And we're going to do a deep dive into content and the protection of content. So if you're a filmmaker and you you know wrote a, a script and now you don't know what to do with it, how to protect it, make sure somebody doesn't walk off with your idea, we're going to address that at that event. And that event will be open to everybody. So this is the first ever university level initiative of this kind. Why do you think it's taken so long, Mo? Did it just take to you to come on in and say we winning we need to do this? Of course, but no. <laughs> no. I mean I think that it you know, I think everything happens when um people come together and they all at the same time have the same idea and the willingness to move forward with it. Um, Dean Wendy Hensel, who I said, Provost Wendy Hensel, she was uh, just the kind of dean at the law school that really wanted to see some different things and really gave me the space to do that. She wasn't um, restrictive and she wasn't holding me back from what I wanted to do. And so she sort of let me go last year and I wrote the curriculum. I and She advised me on it and we were able to get that done. So I think it just takes the right people, the right connections. You know, she she hired me and I've been working in Atlanta in this community for a long time. So it was easy for me to get those connections and people, you know, when I brought this to Ludacris and I asked him to come to the law school to speak, he was absolutely, I mean, there was no, I'm too busy. I can't do that. He was absolutely. And he came and it wasn't a whole big deal. He drove himself. You know, I said, this is, you know, a state school. Um, so we, we don't have, you know, maybe I could do Uber black on my um, Uber app, but um, he's like, no, 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 no worries at all. I'm just going to drive myself. And he came and all he wanted was, you know, a cup of tea and we had our plastic cups for a cup of tea and we gave it to him. And that was all it really was. And and I think that more and more artists feel the um, the pull to, you know, branch into different areas and to do things as they look at their legacy. Right. If they mm. look at what they want to do after they've sort of done everything, what's next? And he's he was just the perfect person to do it. And so I, it was really not that difficult to get the, the buy in from him. My guest is attorney GSU Entertainment Law Professor Mo Ivory, teaching a course on entertainment law this semester while looking at the legal life of Ludacris. You can join the conversation. You can tweet us. You can tell us your favorite Ludacris song using the GPB loves music hashtag. We're also at OST talk on Twitter. So let's dive in a little bit about how far this course goes back in your curriculum for this particular course and what kind of decisions Ludacris made. Of course, Chris Bridges, he was an intern, a DJ at Hot 97 yeah. as Chris Lova Lova. Yes, he was. <laughs> a DJ at Freaknik and then founded his own record label, Disturbing the Peace. It was a Def Jam imprint. Now actor, 
cognac company. Um, so was he particularly smart at law at figuring these things out or did he have good advice? Where, 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 how do you place that? Yeah. So, you know, we started the first class off talking to his mother and she was a guest speaker in our first class. We wanted to really understand how he was raised to think about business and what he was like in his younger years. And he's always been um, business minded. His mother was a vice president at, uh, Fannie, at Freddie Mac and she always uh, taught him to really save, set his goals to, you know, really look at the goals. She would have him write them down, not just discuss them, but write them down. And then they would go back and they would look at the goals. And he always was doing odd, you know, jobs and things that he could uh, do because he wanted to be something. And so that drive is really the beginning of what we learned about him. And so we moved into um, his job as an intern um, at 97.5. And we had Ryan Cameron, who is also a radio personality, come and talk about him becoming an intern and then getting a spot on 97.5 and having his own show. And we examined a radio talent agreement and we really looked at, you know, what it, what were the things that, um, Ludacris was different than other talents. And we found that he used to save all of his money when he would do spots and, um, and he would save that money in order to go into the studio. Huh. So he was always thinking that he would use his radio career to promote his own music at some point. So he was actually Chris Lava Lava and Ludacris at the same time, performing at night as Ludacris and being on the air as Chris Lava Lava. So we went through a radio talent agreement and we broke that all apart and talked about the restrictions that that would have being two sort of entities at one time and, and the thing the things that he does on the radio and who owns that and all that. And it was a very, very interesting conversation. Our next class, we had him his managers come in and and talk to us about the, when they began their management uh, relationship. And we went through a management agreement to find out that they never actually signed a management agreement. No but kidding. that, yes, that for 20 plus years, they've been working on a handshake. Wow. Yeah. So it was very interesting to find that out. Well, that's so interesting that you say that because, you know, a lot of artists emerge onto the scene with, you know, big records. Look at little Nas X right yeah, now, right, right? right? Who may know the music scene, but not necessarily the law. And there are so many stories of, you know, the old blues artists and R&B artists and soul and funk artists who are making records maybe 50s, 60s, 70s on a handshake who never got their royalties, who died penniless. Many of them African-American artists, you know, because of the nature of the business and who was in power. It, it, the idea is this, it, they're better prepared today, but what are some big takeaways on how to do it right? Yeah, so it was ironic that as Ludacris's managers were telling us that they work on a handshake, they were also saying never do that. Yeah. Um, and so when we asked uh, Jeff Dixon, one of his managers, who, what, what's the biggest thing you would do differently, you know, as you move forward, or what's one of the pieces of advice you would give? And he said that absolutely find the best entertainment lawyer that you can and never do anything without a contract. And so that was like really ironic. But he did, you know, say that the, the relationship with Ludacris is obviously atypical. It is, it is not what you would normally find. So, um, you know, the takeaway is that you need to understand the business. One thing I think that Ludacris did early on was understand how this business works rather than just be enamored by being an artist. He knew very early on that records needed to be played on the radio. So he situated himself that he could be on the radio and he could have access to playing his records. He could have access to other DJs. And that's how he built his career when he put his first album out. So I think the takeaway is that 
to watch the things that he did, which many artists do not do. They He saved his money, something artists typically don't do when they are beginning. Um, he always had advice, something artists typically don't do in the beginning. He hired a business manager the first, you know, in the very early, early days to manage his money instead of begin to go on these wild shopping sprees and, and, and just buying everything. And so I think that he just is a model of sort of what you would exactly do on the business side of things to end up having the kind of longevity that he's had. Yeah, and plus a lot of talent to yeah, go along plus, with oh, it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> the Legal Life of Ludacris offers this certificate, as you mentioned, to students upon completion. So what kind of employment could they pursue after graduation? Sure. So, you know, I think what the certificate program does is just say, I know a little bit more about this area than most law students. The real truth is when you graduate from law school, you know about the law, but you do not know how to practice law. And so the practice of law happens in those first couple of years. What I try to do in my class is actually give them some practical applications of the law so when they come out, they understand it. Last night, we did um, a mock negotiation, and two students uh, played the lawyers for the manager and the lawyer for the artist. And I allowed them to um, negotiate different points of the agreement, and I would stop them, and I would you know, point things out that were important for them to learn. So I hope that if any of the students want to go into law firms that have a particular um, practice area that's entertainment, they'll have a leg up from everybody else because these terms won't be new to them. They will at least have seen them in my class. They will know how they work in practical application. And I think that will give them a leg up. A lot of times these super popular courses spread like wildfire. Have you had other interests from other law universities or law schools about doing this course? Yeah, well, I I have um, every week I have a bunch of students and folks from the outside that sit outside my classroom hoping they can come in and audit the class. <laughs> and so I let as many as can, um, you know, in the classroom, but it's pretty full classroom. So um, I can't let as many people in. But yeah, I've had invitations to come speak at all of the law schools about the program that I'm doing. Um, but, you know, we really are honing it and, you know, figuring it all out at Georgia State, how it works. And I get so much interest from people to come in and speak. So I kind of am keeping it at Georgia State. Mo Ivory, thank you so much. Thank you. Spreading the gospel of ludicrous, among other things, about doing it right as a music entertainment. She's an attorney and entertainment law professor. She's in charge of the initiative for entertainment, media and sports at Georgia State University. Stay with us for more of On Second Thought after the break.